welcome back to this week's episode of So You Want to Get Sober. My name's Mel, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm also your host. Last week, I sat down with one of my really good friends, and she interviewed me, um, and I told her all about my, my story and answered some questions that you guys had asked, but I, after listening to it and reflecting, didn't feel like it reflected my true, authentic purpose in doing this and my um, just, you know, I wanted to respect my own boundaries about what I was sharing. So two things. One, I felt like I was kind of sharing things that I thought the audience would like to hear. Um, And one of my tendencies in, in sobriety that I'm trying to unlearn is, you know, I don't need to show up in a certain way that I think people want to see me in order to be liked or wanted. So there's a difference between being vulnerable for the sake of helping others and then being vulnerable um, in the hopes that you'll somehow gain something. Um, and I felt like that's what I was doing, um, sharing certain aspects and hopes that um, I don't even know what I was looking for, but hopes that you guys would see me in some certain light. But that's not what this is about. And the second thing is... The world doesn't have to know every single nitty gritty detail in order for me to be of service and to be of value. Um, I'm fully capable of sharing my my story without having to expose too much of what I feel like is of myself. Um, and I'm just learning how to create those boundaries. But after listening to it, I just it didn't resonate with me. You know, I'm allowed to keep some sort of privacy. So. So yeah, I just wanted to sit down with myself um, and see what authentically came out of me tonight that I would be happy to share with you guys. So I started this podcast because I knew that there were other women out there and men who have been struggling with addiction and just literally have either A, no idea what's going on with them, or B, don't have the resources to be able to get help or know where to get help. Um, as you all know, I got sober through Alcoholics Anonymous, so I'm not preaching that this podcast is what's going to get you sober. That's not at all what the, the idea behind this was, but more of a resource for people to open their eyes to be like, oh, okay, addiction can manifest in different ways. It doesn't look like your stereotypical drunk who's homeless, you know? Um, and I feel like people have this idea of what they need to look like in order to be able to start to get help. And you have people on various ends of the spectrum. You have people like me. I came in, I honestly didn't think that this program would help me at all. I thought I was too much of an alcoholic. Like maybe it would work for you guys, but it's not going to work for me. Um, And that's just simply not the case. There's so many other people who have such similar experiences. And that's what I witness pretty much every single day in the program that I work. Um, And especially now that I have sponsees, you know, it is completely aligned for me to be able to use all the things that I've been the most ashamed about to be able to help these other women. Um, so you're just so far from alone. And I feel like people feel really, really alone going into this because they're like, oh my God, I can't believe I, I don't know, slept with X, Y, and Z on a bench. And (laughs) I'm just making stuff up. Shit gets way worse than that. Um, but you know, they just, they have these things that they're so ashamed about that they feel like they can't tell anybody. And then you realize that a lot of your experiences are pretty similar to all the other alcoholics and addicts in the world. You're not special. Um, 
but I, I just, people don't know that this is available to them. You know, it's not like you're going to ask someone on the street, like, Hey, are you an addict? (laughs) Did you do X, Y, and Z? Like you have to know that this is out there. And for people who don't have AA around them, or, you know, for me, I live in San Francisco. It was super easy to find some bomb ass meetings. Like that's not the case for everybody. So to be able to introduce sobriety as something that's completely accessible and um, fun, you know, like I'm not old. I'm a pretty normal girl who has a job and, you know, I don't know, buys shit from Abercrombie. (laughs) Maybe that's not cool. (laughs) I don't think Abercrombie's cool anymore, but actually, no, their stuff has gotten cute again, but I digress. Anyways, um, the point of this was to open people's eyes to the different ways that alcoholism can look um, and make it feel more inclusive. You know, you're not alone. I just feel like there's so many people who haven't reached out to get help yet because it hasn't been that bad bad yet, you know? You haven't gotten a DUI yet, but all those like big red warning flags haven't happened, but you're still miserable, you know? Um, and it, it just, it doesn't have to get that bad. And I feel like if the more people heard other women's stories that sound really similar to theirs, the more likely they are to get help. It doesn't matter how far down the road you've gone in terms of your mayhem that you've created with your disease. You could maybe be drinking like two bottles of wine a night, but nothing bad has happened. You know, you just feel like you're drinking too much. But I do know one thing is that no matter where you are on the spectrum of insanity of this disease, you are absolutely miserable. It doesn't matter if you've been in jail four times or if you're just starting out, you hate yourself you're discontent, you're incredibly irritable, you hate your life, like you have this feeling in your stomach that something is just not right. And I don't know one alcoholic who hasn't come in, you know, feeling that way. So if you have those feelings that like life just isn't good, life's not worth living and you're coping with alcohol and drugs, like, I mean, the good thing is there is a solution, you know? Um, so I just, I hope that this has brought people some, I guess, comfort, (laughs) comfort from other people's discomfort and angst through their disease that you are totally able to get help if you need help. You know, when I got out of rehab, um, I was just so ashamed. I didn't want anybody to know about what was going on with me or that I had gotten sober because there is just so much stigma. And, you know, I mean, obviously I was carrying some of my own shame that I didn't want people to know about, but the majority of it was, you know, I know the rep that alcoholics and addicts get. And it's it's fucking ridiculous because everyone has something wrong with them. (laughs) And um, it's a disease, you know? And that's not to say that I don't take accountability for my actions in my disease. That's part of the program that I do is you go back and you do take accountability, but there shouldn't be, you know, I I just feel like I always felt like something was inherently wrong with me and like, there's nothing wrong with me. And that's taken me like a year and a half to really have it resonate that like, there's nothing wrong with you, Mel. Like you just have a disease And everyone, everyone is working on something, you know, and mine just might feel more shameful than others, but it doesn't have to be. So I'm hoping that that breaks down some of that shame for people who are like, oh my God, I just don't want anyone to know. But the other side of that is like, 
you know, if you want to be anonymous, fucking that's the whole point of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know? You don't have to tell anyone that you are sober. But for me, I just, the reasoning behind it was shame, not because I wanted to protect my boundaries. So (coughs) I'm getting really choked up, but not because I'm sad. Give me a second. (laughs) Not sad, just choking. Um, So yeah, I'm going to dive right into my story. Apologies if you guys hear motorcycles driving by during this podcast. It is the bane of my existence. And honestly, if I ever relapse, it'll be because of them. So just letting you guys know. Just kidding. Don't worry, mom. Um, But yeah, my name's Mel. I'm an alcoholic. I'm 25 years old. And I'm a strong believer that I was born an alcoholic, quite honestly. I've always had those alcoholic tendencies, um, but I was also a really gentle, sweet, connected, loving child. Um, So a lot of my healing that I've done in sobriety has been focusing back on like that little piece of Mel who, you know, so dearly needed that extra love, care, and affection. Um, Because Mel, in her true form, is so deeply lovable and such a good, tender human being um, that I forget, you know? Sometimes I look back at my life and it's like, oh my God, I've destroyed it all. You know, I can't believe... I just, I can't believe the wreckage of my past. And then I, I, I've been trying more so to look back at little me and bring more of her back up into my life. And like, what can I do to foster more of the love behind her? Um, because that is my, my true essence. You know, I really do believe that I'm a good person, um, who is tender, filled with love, you know, I just lost myself a little bit along the way, but you know, I get to make up for lost time now by healing that little version of me. So the first couple of times that I drank, it actually was not fun. <laughs> I felt like totally out of control. Um, it just didn't get me the effect that it would later on for me. And by later on, I mean like the third time I drank or something. Um, but I do remember a couple of the first times I did drink at like 13, 12, 13, I started drinking pretty heavily around 13. But one of the first times that I like seriously drank, I was with my girlfriends um, up at the beach for a week and we had brought some vodka, probably paid like 25 bucks for like a little mini bottle or something ridiculous. (laughs) Um, And I remember drinking it and then immediately being like, oh my God, where can I get more? Um, Like not even after the first sip. And eventually just like sneaking it from their bags uh, while they weren't looking. So that's kind of how it started. You know, it it was like, what can I do to get out of how I'm feeling? And once I found out that alcohol could get me out of however I was feeling in the moment, like it was off to the races. So sophomore year is when it really got, yeah, I would say out of control. I thought I was way older than I was. Um, I was a sophomore and had a senior boyfriend, um, thought I was cool shit, but you know, at first I drank to fit in, um, wasn't necessarily like drinking alcoholically yet, but 
as that year progressed, you know, all of a sudden I was putting Bacardi 151 rum into my Nalgene with cranberry juice and biking to school in the morning, pretending like it was totally normal, just going to Spanish class with, you know, super hard alcohol. I mean, at seven o'clock in the morning, like it didn't, it didn't hit me quite yet that it was um, something to be concerned about. I thought I was just like kind of cool and it made me feel good. Like I got to go to Spanish class and have a good time. But I remember one of my like older senior friends telling him what I was doing and him being like, you should watch out for that. Isn't, you know, your mom an alcoholic? I'm like, yeah, but like, there's nothing to be concerned about. And I think a part of me was concerned, but like it was working, you know, I was getting good grades. I had a boyfriend. I had friends like, I don't know. I think I was in some sport probably like it looked fine from the outside. I didn't feel concerned. Um, and it was a way to escape and also like, I don't know, a way to rebel. Like it didn't seem so dangerous at this point, but I mean, this type of drinking continued all throughout high school, like to excess. Um, you know, I'm not going to recount all my drunk logs, but you know, I mean, take like <laughs> regular high school drinking to the extreme. And that was me. You know, there was never a point in having just one drink. Um, and I surrounded myself with people who also drank to excess. But I mean, I was also starting to sneak drinks before parties or, you know, taking an extra couple shots just to get that extra push. Um, but like, it was funny still. Nothing really freaked me out about it because everyone else was doing it, or at least that's what it seemed. So. Yeah, you know, fast forward towards the end of high school, I got a fake ID, and that's when, I mean, at that point, I could just get alcohol whenever. And I did. <laughs> I totally did. You know, I have, um, it just got really dark. All of a sudden, you know, I can't remember that fucking far back, but all of a sudden, it was like I couldn't live without it. But a part of me thought that, like, maybe it was just a phase or, I don't know, that I was, like, young and going to college and, like, everything was going to work out fine. I just wasn't afraid of it yet. But I just had this, like, lurking feeling at, what, 17 years old that, like, nothing was right. Nothing was ever going to be right. I couldn't really look at myself in the mirror. I was constantly seeking validation from others. But, like, again, what 17-year-old isn't? Um, and then, yeah, you know, the summer before college, it was just like really heavy on the drinking, but to mask the feelings and it worked. Like I was able to not feel like through a breakup and it was incredible. I was able to not feel through losing friends. Like it, it, it helped me. And then college started and I just didn't have any more supervision, you know, I mean, I was already getting away with a lot in high school. It's not like, you know, I don't know. You know how some parents are always like, oh, let your kids party a little bit in high school, then they won't go crazy in college. Like, well, I still partied in high school, and then I went ape shit in college. Um, it was just like, in my mind, I was able to, quote unquote, finally be myself and like express Mel to her fullest extent, which was just like you know, this facade, this mask of drunkenness all the time. I, I didn't have a self, you know, I started drinking it, you know, heavily 13. I had no idea who I was. I drank all throughout high school. You know, I, I really don't know how the fuck I made it out alive. <laughs> Luck, God. Um, 
So, and that's how people knew me. So I started college and it was just a crazy party scene and I fit right in. Um, I was definitely more on the crazier side in terms of just like drinking as much as I could. You know, I still had my fake ID. Um, but I found myself constantly drinking to find connection. I was drunk whenever I could, literally every single day of the week. Um, and that progressed throughout that freshman year of college. Um, I thought it, I was able to tap into who I was and that people would like me more, you know, if I was able to, you know, have a drunk one-on-one with them and tell them like my life secrets, which it's just all fake connection. So, you know, my whole life, I've never really had good, strong relationships with men and women, but specifically with women. When I first came into the program, I was like, oh, I have such a problem with men. Like they've ruined my life. And then I sat down to do some step work with my sponsor and it's like, oh shit, like I have a problem making connections with women. Um, cause I couldn't ever show up, you know, I would show up as this like fake where I really wanted to make connection, but I just couldn't actually get there because I was always drunk and, you know, seeking validation from others constantly. And the truth was, you know, I, I hated myself. I couldn't show up as myself because I didn't like myself and I didn't know myself sober. And I was drinking, I would say every day. And I had this little like concoction going, you know, I'll drink during the day when it's finals, I'll take Adderall, drink at night so I can go to sleep, maybe some weed, start the next day, do some more Adderall. Like I had it all figured out or so I thought, and it it was still kind of working, but like the consequences started to pile up. Um, and you know, I, I, I remember my mom, she got sick with cancer and I used that as my catalyst to just like fall to pieces basically. Woe is me. My mom is dying. Um, I'm going to drink myself to death. And I tried. (laughs) I partied really, really hard. And I think people started to notice at this point that like something's wrong with Mel. But again, like every college student's drinking a lot. So it was like warning flag, but not the end of the world. Um, but you know, I, I drank too much one night, threw my phone at a wall, called my mom crying, then called my dad crying. Like that was the mayhem of my life. I would constantly do shit like that, but this just hit an extra hard point. And my dad came down the next day. I remember he was supposed to take this like really amazing flight to Palau, which is this gorgeous Hawaii or not Hawaii, but a gorgeous Island out in the middle of Indonesia. And he didn't go, um, and came to Santa Cruz. I don't know why I feel like I'm going to cry right now. (laughs) He came to Santa Cruz to take me to my first AA meeting. Um, and this is like, I think that I only felt like the way that people would love me would be if I made myself like, you know, put myself in shitty situations or made people want to come save me, then they would love me. Um, which just isn't true. Like the relationships I have now, especially with my dad and my mom are totally based on like them loving me for me. But, um, you know, uh, in my mind it was like, okay, he came down to save me. And I went to my first AA meeting and cried in the back um, silently and then kind of was just like, oh, don't know what that is. (laughs) Just like went about the rest of my week once he left. But 
that was like my first little initiation into AA. And like I had known what AA was growing up because my mom is sober 16 years now. So um, it runs on both sides of my family for sure. And I, I know it's a family disease. I just, and I knew at this point that I was an alcoholic. I just, it was, it was helping. And I wasn't going to give up the one thing I knew would help me be me. And you guys have to understand that although I'm giving you instances where I was super drunk and obviously making poor decisions where it's like red red flag, red flag, I was pulling it off. Like I was secretly drinking all the time. So I was always drunk. Like no one always knew. It was this facade all the time. I literally kept a bag of Franzia in my closet just to like feel like a normal human being. Um... And I would have these like instances, again, like throwing my phone at a wall and crying and like losing my shit, you know, falling down, waking up covered in like cuts and bruises and blood, like stuff like that, where they're like obviously warning signs. Um, Actually, what comes to mind is my mom finding like a bunch of old vodka bottles from high school in the back of my closet from home and me being like, no, 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 like those were just stockpiled from years. I just never threw them away. And I feel like... For me to have kept those in the back of the closet, I must have, like, been wanting some help. (laughs) Like, why would you not just throw those away, teenage Mel, you know? Anywho, I mean, so yeah, I was just secretly drunk all the time and would have these little blips of, like, oh, really, really bad, and then I would, like, kind of slow down for a little bit. And, you know, I was getting good grades in college. Like, things looked okay. I was posting cute stuff on Instagram, going to Mexico with my boyfriend and fooling people by brushing off these insane drunken incidents by either laughing about it or saying it won't happen again or I'm so sorry, coming up with excuses just so that people wouldn't know how bad it was. Everyone knew I was a partier, but no one knew that I was like secretly drinking or if they did, I tried to cover it up. (laughs) So, I mean, this continued and... You know, I, I got a, an internship over the summer. I, I, I've always been smart and capable. Like, I, I held it together, but the people that knew me the most could see it falling apart bit by bit even more. And one of my biggest bottoms was senior year of college. Uh, I had gotten pneumonia twice, which is something that only alcohol, well, not only alcoholics, but you're more likely to get it if you're an alcoholic. I forget the scientific reason why. But, Anywho, really bad. You don't really get that at 25 unless there's something seriously wrong with you. The drinking was just nonstop at this point. I couldn't not drink. Um, Drinking during finals, drinking during the day, like drinking to get up. It was all I could do. And yeah, I lost all of my friends due to the actions of my drinking. So I was completely alone and isolated myself. Continued to drink even though things were really bad. I wasn't able to go to class anymore. You know, I was just falling apart. And one night, my, you know, my dad came to visit me and I decided it would be a great night to go out on like a Tuesday. And again, I can never have one or two or three drinks. It was like 20. So I call an Uber at two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning to take me home from this bar. And I'm very upset because I don't know what I'm going to do after graduation, whether I'm going to have kids and a family, if, you know, my boyfriend loves me, just very drunk and dramatic. Um, And I'm explaining this to this man driving me in the Uber, crying in the back of the Uber outside my house and just kind of venting to him about life, hoping that he would fix it. I don't know. Have you guys ever had drunk Uber drives? It was like that. 
Um, and he looked at me and said, let me walk you to your door. And I said, no, no, it's fine. I'm good. And he pressed to walk me to my door. And I didn't really know what to do in this situation because I was inebriated and kind of just froze up and let him walk me to my door. And the way our apartment was set up was like one big house, but split into two apartments. So the front door to the house was actually the front door to my bedroom. So he walked me to the door and made his way in and sat me down on the bed and started to pull off my clothes and pulled up my shirt and said, you know, this is what's going to happen to you when you have kids. Um, And then started to unbutton my pants and said, this is what's going to happen to you, you know, when you get pregnant. Um, And I just remember thinking, like, I deserve this. You deserve this, Mel. Like, you've been so fucked up that you deserve this. And in this moment, it's Tuesday, 3 o'clock in the morning, my roommate comes home from a night out and sees that my light is on and starts to scream my name. So this is one of the many reasons that I believe in God, because the Uber driver just took off, um... And I was not raped that night. So, and I know that I'm one of many women where this happens to, and I'm one of the lucky ones. I was just saved by my roommate, and I chalked that up to my higher power, you know? What kind of luck is that? So, you would think that would be enough to to make me want to stop, and it wasn't. And I graduated college, made my dad throw me a graduation party because don't you know how smart I am (laughs) blacked out at the graduation party in front of all of my family members including the ones that are sober which is like all of my mom's side of the family um and then I decided that it was Santa Cruz that was the issue so I moved to Thailand (laughs) the obvious choice and I taught English there for a year in the middle of nowhere and I I didn't really have a lot of access to alcohol but whenever I would drink it was like all of my drinking smushed into one or two nights where I was just absolutely insane. And when I wasn't drinking, I was irritable, discontent, anxious. I couldn't figure out why I hated my life so much. I was living in Thailand, like supposed to be living my best life at 22 years old, and I despised myself. So I moved back to California and moved to San Francisco. And once I started living like a life of normalcy, that's when it really hit the fan in terms of my drinking. I just couldn't maintain my life where I had to show up and do everyday basic tasks like wake up, put on clean clothes, take a shower, go to work. I just couldn't imagine it. And, you know, the college drinking days were over. I was no longer in Thailand. There was no reason for me to be drinking the way that I was drinking. And I had to kind of fit into this box of normalcy which is what grown adults do once they graduate college, you know, and put down their heavy drinking and start to grow up and they, you know, grow out of that stage. So I worked a nine to five, had a couple friends, but slowly they started slipping out of my life as well because I was either incredibly hungover or drinking. (laughs) And yeah, this is when it was to the daily drinking. You know, I would leave work on a Friday, drink to excess, make a fool of myself, you know, ruin relationships that I would try and salvage on Saturday morning, you know, drunk still from the night before, in bed, kind of shaking from withdrawals, not knowing what happened the night before and how I was going to fix it, and just utterly mortified of having to live my life. 
and then drinking on Saturday to help calm my nerves and feel better about myself. It was like I would drink and make a fool of myself. (laughs) And then to deal with the shame, I would continue to drink. And then by Sunday, I'm so hungover that I can't even stomach anything. But the only way that I'll feel better is by drinking. So I'm continuing to drink through Sundays. And then I show up on Mondays, not even being able to do my job. Um, And this would just continue. It was endless. And I I remember praying, being like, oh my God, please stop. I, I just, I need this to stop. But I wasn't ready. I just wasn't ready to give it up. It, it was the only thing I had in my life that made life worthy of living. I didn't have friends. I didn't like where I was working. You know, I hated myself. I hated the way I looked. And drinking gave me the one ounce of hope that everything was going to be okay. And if you took that away from me, A, there wasn't any Mel because Mel was just party girl. I didn't know who I was. And it was the only thing that felt like it was, you know, a bandage on my wounds. So I just continued and things got more unmanageable. I got too drunk at holiday parties, made a fool of myself, lost more friends. Like it was just this endless cycle and I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, why am I ruining my life like this? Um, Turns out I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) And it got to a point where I was on disability for work because I was depressed and drinking all the time around the clock. And I remember like laying in the bathtub on my third bottle of wine alone, just being like, I need to end this. I can't continue living anymore the way that I'm living, but I'm not willing to give up alcohol. So I guess that means I just have to kill myself. And I realized this was a weird thought to have, (laughs) like normal people probably don't think this, So I called my mom and I was like, "Uh, hey mom, you know, I'm a little concerned about my mental health and wasn't willing to tell them that I was drinking to excess. My mom at this point knew, you know, she was on her hands and knees for praying for me. You know, you can't save someone when they don't want to be saved. And I really think that I'm lucky on so many levels because I did decide to not kill myself and live a life worth living. But a lot of people, it's like, Addiction has you in its grip and you can't make someone stop drinking. You, you just can't. So, I mean, my mom and everyone, a lot of people have tried for a long time and, you know, wanting to kill myself was not what got me to stop drinking. I went to the hospital for suicidal ideation. Again, had both my parents, you know, my boyfriend and my, you know, my dad show up to come and save me because, again, that's how I thought I needed to be shown love. And the technician comes up to me. I didn't know they were going to take my blood. Um, And I guess my alcohol content was super high. And he's like, do you want to tell your parents or should I? And I was like, damn it, I have to tell them that I've been drinking. And again, it's secret drinking. So I, I tell them the truth. And they're like, all right, well, you're definitely an alcoholic. We should get you some help. And that wasn't enough. I, I just, I, I got to a point where I, I wasn't able to take away the one thing that made me feel whole, or at least like a quarter whole. <laughs> until um, until I was. And that's, again, I, I chalk that up to a power greater than myself. It was not me who decided to stop drinking. I was so sick one night, like just throwing up bile. It wasn't even throw up anymore. I was so sick. I couldn't even stand like shaking, wobbly, trying to drink to numb down the nausea, but throwing it right back up. Ugh, like my stomach is dropping just from the thought of this. 
And my partner looked at me and he's like, what is going on? And again, I'm a massive liar during all this. So I'm like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's my Prozac, which is an antidepressant. And I look at him and I'm like, I am drunk. I desperately need help and I need to go to rehab. At least I think that's what I said because, again, I was really drunk. But in my mind, that's what happened because I was at rehab the next day, baby. (laughs) Oh, man. It's not funny, but it it is funny. I'm allowed to laugh at it because I'm alive here today. But it was, um, yeah, it's just a really terrifying process for all of my loved ones. Um, And I went to rehab and I stayed for 30 days. And it's exactly what I needed. You know, I had so much hesitancy towards rehab because only people who are really fucked up go to rehab is what I thought. And I mean, like, that's kind of (laughs) true. Healthy people don't go to rehab, but no one like no one's going to make you feel bad for going to therapy. Right. Or going to the doctor or I don't know, getting a surgery you need. Like I needed to go to rehab or else I would have died. And for people to belittle others for standing up for their own well-being And asking for what they need is fucking stupid. So if you feel like you can't stop drinking, I will gladly send you some rehab resources because it saved my life. Um, Yeah. Anywho, I, I would also like to note that rehab got me out of my mind long enough for me to be able to see like, holy shit, Mel, you're either going to die or you're going to live. Which one are you going to (laughs) do? Like one has alcohol, one doesn't. But what saved my life was Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, you know, I've, you guys have heard this story with my sponsor, but she was the first person I was ever able to fully be honest with, and that's why I kept her as my sponsor. And has treated me with, like, just, I don't know. I want to say she treats me like a little Care Bear, <laughs> like with just lots of love and fluff and understanding and, like, snuggles. I don't know. May, if you're hearing this. I love you. <laughs> but um, but yeah, she was the first person that I was able to be honest with. And that was huge. You know, my, my biggest character defect is lying, mainly so that I can get you to love me. My whole drinking, I would say, is like, what can I do to get you to love me? Um, and that's when I started to learn to love myself, which I know sounds super cheesy, but it's true. I, you know, with the help of AA, the steps, the fellowship, like this is where I was finally able to show up. And I told you guys, like at the beginning, I was super ashamed. And now I'm like, hey, I'm I'm an alcoholic. Here's all the fucked up stuff I did. Mainly because I just don't have any shame anymore. And because I found other people who did the same shit as me, you know, which is huge. I always thought I was alone. You know, I couldn't figure out why I was doing all these horrific things when I was drunk. And it's like, oh my God, she's done that too. And you look at her and she's like this six foot tall, skinny girl with like stilettos on and she's gorgeous and like works at Google. It's like, damn, okay, I guess there are more alcoholics and fucked up people in this world than I thought. But, um, but yeah, I just, early sobriety was really awful. There was not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like it is really hard. There's some people who you know, they're three months in and it's like, oh my God, I see the world in color. Like, I feel like I'm finally myself again or finding myself at all. And that was just not my experience. I trudged. It was awful. I had to sit in my feelings all the time. I didn't really have any friends. I didn't know how to make friends like in a normal way. Like, what do I tell them about myself? Even to this day, I'm kind of confused about normal social shit. Like I have to go out and talk to someone about 
their hobbies. Like, that sounds fucking boring. I don't care about them. I only care about myself. Just kidding. That's something I'm working on. (laughs) Um, But, like, I continued to show up. I did what people told me to do. I reached out. I got weird service stuff. Like, please come put up the chairs after a meeting and just, like, showed up. I started to relearn how to be a normal human being. You know, I... This is a really weird thing, but I now brush my teeth twice a day and I make regular doctor's appointment. Well, not regular, but like I go and see an actual OBGYN once a year. I pay my bills on time. <laughs> like Just the basic normal shit I couldn't handle without drinking. I literally wouldn't even be able to look at my bills without having like five glasses of wine because it freaked me out. So imagine like the one comfort you have is taken away. So all I would do is just like eat my body weight and Uber Eats and cry. I watched The Office probably 50 times. Well, and that's including this. I love The Office. It's the one thing that brings me comfort to this day, actually. But yeah, it was really awful. And it takes a long time. Like if you think about it, you've been drinking since, I don't know, for the past 10 years, probably if you're listening to this podcast. That's a long ass time. It's not like you're going to all of a sudden get sober and then like, poof, you're healed. Like there are reasons why you drink and that shit's going to get gnarly because it has nowhere else to go. When you drink, you have to finally face your demons and it is not fun. But the good news is you have a support system of people who can help you through it. It's not like you have to do it alone. I no longer felt alone. That was what was really cool is I finally had people who didn't even really know me, but they understood where I was coming from and therefore could love me for what I was going through because they've gone through it too, which I think is something really beautiful that most humans don't really get, you know, that deep, deep connection from utter pain. So I started to make friends and learned how to talk to other people, which I'm still learning to do (laughs) bit by bit. Um, I got a new job. I I quit the old job I was at because I just, I didn't like it. At first I thought that was like, oh, maybe it's because you're drunk. Then I went back to it and I was like, nah, I just don't like it. Got a new job in finance, venture capital, which I knew nothing about venture capital. My degree from college was in environmental science. And I actually enjoy getting up and going to this job every day, which is something that I I just never thought that I would ever have. I thought that everyone was miserable waking up, doing their daily routine and going to work. And like, it doesn't have to be miserable. You can enjoy what you do and be interested in it. Like I have a legit career that I like (laughs) at 25. That is nuts. That's nuts to me. Mind you, I got this job like, I don't know, five months after sobriety. Like shit happens quick when you start to take care of yourself and put your feet in front of the other. You know that saying. Oh man, I'm not very good in social situations as you can tell. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, and then I just kept growing. You know, shit got really hard. There were so many times where I was like, oh my God, I just wish that I could drink to escape X, Y, and Z, but I didn't because I had the people there beside me to walk me through all the hard icky things I got through the holiday sober which was big for me I was able to finally show up as a family member and give instead of take little by little I just started to love myself you know even now when I say I'm awkward and weird in social situations 
I don't say that to be mean to me. Like, I actually like that about me, that I sometimes don't know the right thing to say and stumble on my words and say the wrong thing. Like, those are things that I'm learning to appreciate. They're what make me me. And finding out more about who Mel is, what she likes, because I don't know her. I don't know her at all. I, I, I left her at like 12 and 13, you know? So what a cool opportunity to spend this past year and a half, well, God willing, in like, I don't know, I think it's in like two months. I can't do math. But it is soon. Um, (laughs) It is late. I'm also recording this at like 1130 at night, and I'm going a little crazy. But all of a sudden, like, things started to shift. I don't know if it was because the pandemic hit and I was just a little bit more grateful for all that I had. I don't really know. I think, well, okay, I do know it was the result of the steps and I just felt settled. It's the first time that I felt settled ever in a very, very, very long time where I was like, okay, being me. And all of a sudden I was finally able to feel contentment, which I had never felt. I always felt discontent. But I was able to just bask in the moment and truly be grateful. And to me, like, I don't know, when people think of joy or happiness, I always thought of it as like some really big flashy rainbow or, you know, hot or cold. You're either like super happy or really depressed. But I think true joy for me from what I've seen by working the program is just contentment and like baseline you know, no highs, no lows, sitting on a couch, on my specific couch with the fall light, reading a book with a cup of tea next to my boyfriend who's playing video games, like basic shit. Um, I don't know. It just, it, my whole idea of what brought me quote unquote happiness has shifted. People always say like, your life doesn't necessarily get boring once you get sober, but your idea of what is exciting definitely shifts. And I think a lot of my happiness stems from the relationships that I have, both new, old, and like rekindled. I get to show up now as someone who, you know, gives instead of takes, which is not something that I'm used to, you know, not seeking for validation so that I know that you love me. And that quite honestly just came with time and learning to love myself. You know, once I was able to trust who I was and learning to like my authentic being, then I was able to kind of just give it up. You know, I have no control over whether people like me or not. Um, But, you know, the relationships that I do have right now, they, I know that these people do love me. So I get to show up in my authentic being and just enjoy their presence and like rebuild these relationships. So I feel like in my disease, I was constantly discontent. So I was never able to actually be present in any moment with friends or family or my partner. So I would say that's probably the biggest change that other people have seen in me as well as my ability to be engaged. And um, yeah, I would say engaged in the present moment. Uh, when previously I, I was just waiting to get, you know, back home so that I could start drinking, you know, hated spending time with family. Good. Well, cause I hated myself, you know, and now I get this whole opportunity to show up. So yeah, my relationship with my, my mom has totally evolved. You know, I put my parents and my family members through hell. I'm, as I'm sure 
you would think with an addict. I cried wolf a lot. For me, it was like goes back to that saving thing. Like, okay, I'll know that you love me because you keep on saving me and the reassurance that I'll be okay. When that's not what I that's not what I need to know that I'm loved. That's not the truth. You know what? um, I know that they love me regardless, but that's not the way that I need to seek it. So, I mean, really mending those relationships through the steps and, you know, practicing what I preach. So making amends um, to my parents and my family members was obviously incredibly um, spiritual and emotional, you know. But really, it's been just, you know, I get to call my dad because it's a Sunday morning and I just want to check in. I'm not calling him to ask for money or to help me get out of urgent care, who knows what it is. And for my mom to be able to show up and like be of service and maybe help her with a task or two while I'm home. Like the dynamic is just shifting, um, which has just been amazing to see. And yeah, you know, with my partner too, we, oh my God, we've been dating since we were both 20 years old. So like that growth in and of itself is pretty insane. But I hid my disease from him as best as possible. Um, you know, making up excuses. I have this one memory in my head where like we were supposed to go to, I don't know, some event and I had been drinking, but obviously I didn't want him to know. But we get to the gas station and I've been eating like a couple hot Cheetos. And so I am drunk and throw up hot Cheetos all over the gas station by the gas pump. I was like, sorry, I'm not feeling well. I guess it's just the hot Cheetos. So just like stuff like that and trying to be as convincing as possible um, and just dishonest, you know, uh, not showing up as the partner that I would have liked to be. So, you know, I mean, he stayed with me. It got really dark at the end. You know, when you see someone who is struggling so hard and like, he can't make me get sober. My parents can't make me get sober, you know, and I just physically couldn't stop drinking. That's really hard. You know, you have absolutely no control. And I don't know, sometimes I think like if I were him, I don't know if I would have stayed, you know, but I mean, I'm so glad he did. We're on the other side of, of me dying. Cause that's really what was happening is he witnessed, you know, the love of his life dying. <laughs> Even talking about this right now just brings up a lot of shame. You know, I wish I could have shown up as the person I would have liked to be. And I'm so grateful that, you know, we have this new opportunity. Like, I guess the cool thing is now I get the decision to show up as a good, loving, honest, and compassionate partner every single day now that I'm sober. And, um, you know, it, it took time. Like when I went to rehab, things are tough, you know, it's because you don't know, is Mel going to stay sober? Or is Mel going to relapse? Like, again, it was really bad. I could not stop drinking towards the end. Um, And that's really scary. Like, we're also really young. So imagine, you know, a 20, how old was he? Like 24, 23? Like, it's just hard. Um, But yeah, I mean, our relationship today is so normal, but so beautiful. (laughs) I think I mentioned earlier, like my favorite thing is just reading a book on the couch, like while he plays Call of Duty or taking a walk outside. Um, And I mean, he's obviously seen so much of the true light in me this entire time. Um, Oh, I'm going to start crying. (laughs) 
which I think, um, yeah, you know, to be able to stand by someone when they're, when they're dying is, is really intense. Uh, I don't think anyone can prepare you for, um, watching a loved one go through this disease. Um, but yeah, I'm just really grateful for our relationship and for the other relationships that I've mended through sobriety by being able to show up as a present, loving, compassionate, and honest, like rigorously honest person. You know, when I feel like I can't go out tonight to, you know, go see our friends where there's going to be alcoholic beverages, like I have to be like, hey, I can't do that, you know? Um, and that's that's really what keeps any of my relationships going is checking in with my emotions to see how I'm feeling. Because if I'm not in tune with how I'm doing, then I'm going to fuck shit up. Because uh, my brain is crazy. And luckily, it's not just me and my brain making decisions. You know, I have a support system who who also understand that my brain is crazy, you know. And by support system, I mean like the people of Alcoholics Anonymous and all the women that I know. So, I mean, life is just pretty magnificent, magnificently ordinary. You know, I love my job. I wake up excited. I have coworkers who love and care for me. And like, it's a very supportive environment, which I, again, I didn't even really knew it existed or could ever be available to me. And mind you, this is all just in under a year of sobriety, a year and a half, you know, I had someone ask me an Instagram question that was just, that just said, are you happy? Um, and the short answer is yes, but I have moments of unhappiness. You know, I was expecting I think I was expecting sobriety to fix all of my issues and it would just be all of a sudden, like all of my joy would come back. And that's not anybody's reality. I'm not joyful all the time. I've had a shit ton of stuff go down this past year that sucks. <laughs> you know, I herniated a disc in my spine, was put on Oxycontin. Like no matter how long you've been in sobriety, like Oxycontin is Oxycontin. Like you're, it's going to fuck you up. So that was awful. Um, luckily I didn't relapse, but just a shitty situation to be in. And like to this day, four months down the road, I'm still in pain. Um, pandemic, luckily no one that I know has died or is seriously, um, sick or, you know, recovering from COVID, but yeah. And then just honestly doing my own deep, deep work where, I mean, people are alcoholics because they have a problem with their mind, not because they have a problem with alcohol. And the first year of sobriety was just kind of putting in the footwork about like, okay, we get ready for work, then we're off to go. Then after that, we learn how to make dinner and then we go to bed at a reasonable time, like basic shit. And then this year, it's uncovering like all the shit that I've pushed down for so, so long. And like that is resurfacing trauma. It's not going to be fun, but this is necessary. And, you know, all this stuff, I have the resources, I'm blessed to have the resources to deal with, you know, I go to therapy, I actually am starting a new, um, a new program called Codependence Anonymous, because I realize that I need extra support on how to deal with um, unlearning some of the behaviors that I learned while growing up. Um, So like, it takes a village for me to be at baseline. I'm also on antidepressants. I'm not happy, joyous, and free all the time, but I do know what being happy, joyous, and free feels like, and I get little pockets of it all the time, but like my problems are still problems. I still have all that icky shit inside me that I have to constantly work on. You know, one of my biggest character defects is lying, and 
I catch myself in stupid lies all the time. You know, mainly I lie to please people so that you'll like me. Um, and I'm, I've literally had to just stop, pause and call myself out when I do it. You know, um, luckily the people that I do lie in front of what I chalk up to it, they're like, that's okay. Cause they're all alcoholics too. Um, so yeah, I mean, yes, I know what happiness feels like. I am happy. I'm so, I'm like fucking, I was suicidal a year and a half ago and now I'm standing on my own two feet with a career, a loving partner, a beautiful house in San Francisco and a circle of friends and family. Like what more could you ask for? And that's really actually a good reminder. I mean, I feel like every single person, alcoholic or not, always has this feeling of there's not enough. I won't ever have enough of money, of sex, of, you know, friends, like whatever it is. Um, and I do get caught up in that feeling of there's not enough. But when I look at it, when I'm speaking right now, there's so much all the time. So, so yeah, I'm definitely a grateful alcoholic. My brain is really good at tricking me into thinking that, you know, it wasn't that bad. And I don't know, I just, I forget sometimes how bad it actually was. Because I can guarantee you that I would be dead if I hadn't stopped drinking when I did. Guaranteed. So not only am I not dead, I have a wonderful life that's worth living and I actually enjoy myself as a person. So I couldn't really ask for much more. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed hearing my story today. Let me know if you have any other questions you want me to answer now that you've heard it. I'd be happy to. Um, and I'll see you guys next week.